Hey, what's up, guys? Good morning. I wanted to address something that's been uh, going around on Twitter and uh, boxing, boxing Twitter, boxing YouTube, boxing social media circles this week. And that is Terrence Crawford's recent comments about the resume of Canelo Alvarez. I think uh, last week on the Zone broadcast where Virgil Ortiz beat Maurice Hooker, uh, Terrence Crawford was in the crowd and he was interviewed by uh, members of the Zone crew. And he ended up saying something to the effect, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, okay? This is not a direct quote. But basically, <clears throat> he was asked about Canelo Alvarez, and he said that Canelo isn't uh, legit, and his resume isn't very good, it's weak, whatever, because he doesn't fight black fighters. His words, not mine. And he specifically brought up, I think the names of uh, Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andre were brought up, both of whom started at 154 while Canelo was fighting uh, they were both at 154 while Canelo was fighting at 160. And now Canelo is pretty much a 168 fighter. And those guys are both fighting at 160. So uh, th this is something that um, it's a narrative that's been brought up in boxing um, forever. And I should state uh, in response, Terrence Crawford took a lot of shit on boxing Twitter, particularly from American boxing writers who, who have never really liked Terrence and found his comments hypocritical because they started looking at his resume and they said, well, Terrence Crawford hasn't fought many black American fighters as well. And they specifically brought up uh, the names at PBC, the, the welterweights that are primarily at PBC guys like Spence uh, Porter and others. Right. So this narrative went around back and forth and you've seen that kind of circling and making the rounds. Um, some people were offended by Terrence Crawford's comments because they interpreted a racial superiority inferiority uh, in what he was saying right um and some people just thought that um, it was uncomfortable because he brought up the subject of race and there, there's a lot of people out there if you bring up race ethnicity nationality those sorts of things their assholes pucker up and they get really really uncomfortable that's the world that we live in in 2021 and there are a lot of people out there who will kind of go looking for things that aren't quite there and finding um, dog whistles and, and that sort of thing, you know, hidden meanings that really don't exist, right? So was I offended by what Terrence Crawford said? No, uh, not at all. And uh, was I offended about some of the response from people on boxing Twitter and everything? No, I don't, I don't really give a shit. What, what bothered me about his comments and the subsequent response from the, the media, you know, looking back at Terrence Crawford and kind of putting it back on him is that the narrative that you have to fight, quote, quote, unquote, fight black fighters to be legit, if black American fighters to be legit in 2021. That's a narrative that's several decades old. Now, what I, what I mean by several decades old is it's, it's, it's kind of extinct because boxing is a globalized sport now. And in some divisions, you still have a significant black American presence. But in many divisions... If you're fighting the best, as a boxing fan, I just want to see the best fight the best. I don't give a shit what ethnicity or, or national uh, background, national origin the fighters are. I could care less. I just want to see the best fight the best, right? And in some divisions, that might mean you're fighting uh, a fighter from the UK. It may be they're, they're of Anglo uh, ethnicity. Maybe they're they're black, but they're from the UK. That might mean you're fighting a fighter from Latin America, and of course, you could be from Latin America and be a black fighter. It was Lani Lara, Guillermo Ricadiao. They are just as black as Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andre. 
They just are of Hispanic heritage. And that's what Hispanic is, a heritage, a culture. You could be um, Caucasian or or, uh, any mixture of, of races from Latin America. But depending on what division you're talking, if you're fighting the best, it might be a fighter from Latin America, might be a fighter from Asia, UK, uh, Eastern Europe, any part of the world. And then, yes, there are some divisions where if you're facing the best, that's going to be fighters from America, specifically uh, African-American heritage uh, from America. So, So it's all over the place. But there was a time where. Americans, specifically Black Americans, dominated this sport a long time from from top to bottom. And there also is a true legitimate history of Black fighters being avoided, going all the way back to the beginning of of the sport, at least here in the United States, with some of the uh, Irish American champions or Anglo-American champions, whichever term you prefer. Most of them were of Irish heritage, but not all. Uh, back in the day, I'm talking over a century ago. Guys, Google Murderer's Row and just read, okay? There is a history there of Black American, specifically Black American heavyweights being avoided. That's well documented. It's not something that gets talked about all the time now, but there's a legitimate history there. Even Jack Johnson, you know, who fought some of those guys coming up, once he became heavyweight champion of the world, he drew the color line. There, there have been cases of actual black fighters drawing the color line at some point. Uh, so that's all documented. That's all out there. But right now, the biggest issue, okay, take, take race and ethnicity out of this equation just for a minute here. The biggest issue with all of this, uh, fighters being avoided of, of, you know, of any background right now, really has to do more with the promoters, the platforms, and the networks that they fight on, the, the money and things like that, more than any sort of ethnic or, or national factor, okay? Let's look at the PBC, and this is an anti-PBC video, but certain things just are the way they are. They have a certain business model at PBC, and that includes doing in-house pay-per-view shows, mostly on Fox, but also on Showtime. Uh, they're about to have their fourth pay-per-view show coming up May 1st, their fourth since the COVID outbreak. Okay, so uh, no other major American promoter has done any pay-per-views since the COVID outbreak. PBC is about to do their fourth. They have a certain business model over there, okay? And it just so happens that PBC, Premier Boxing Champions, happens to represent the bulk of American fighters out there, of all ethnicities, but primarily African-American fighters, okay? And they don't like to play with others. They don't like to do business with top rank, golden boy, Matchroom, whoever it is, they don't do that very often. Not that other promoters don't keep things in house and everything, but you do see other promoters reaching across the aisle and working together more so, at least in recent years, than Al Heyman's PBC. So, as a result of that, a lot of the Black American fighters who happen to be over at PBC, you don't see them fighting the best guys from Golden Boy, Top Rank, Matchroom whoever it is. And I would argue, and I think that there's plenty of evidence to suggest this, that it has more to do with promotional ties and network ties blocking those matchups than some sort of ethnic thing or racial thing where fighters of a particular background are being avoided simply because of the color of their skin or their national origin. That's really not happening in 2021. 
again, there is a history of that in boxing, but not now. And I understand some of you will say, Mike, please don't talk about this stuff. It's uncomfortable. Look, there are a lot of times where people interject race and ethnicity uh, in, into discussions, into topics where they don't belong. They try to find hidden meetings and, and, as they say, dog whistles and things like that, where it doesn't exist. They misinterpret and mischaracterize people all the time. That happens to me a lot, but that's not the case here. In this particular discussion, race is relevant because Terrence Crawford brought it up. And a lot of the uh, old guard American media, particularly the old school East Coast guys who are living back in the 70s or 90s, they brought it up too. Or, or responded to it and pushed a narrative that I have heard for, forever since I've been involved in boxing that I think is just an old narrative. So I want to share something with you guys real quick. I'm going to share with you. Um, ah, hang on one second. I'm starting to trying to learn this new technology here. <laughs> uh, okay. Nah, nah, I want to share this one. Let me make sure I got this pulled up. Uh, this is a tweet that one of you guys sent in response to one of my tweets. I hope that you can see this, okay? But this is the Ring Magazine Fighters of the Year, uh, just decade over decade, going back to the 1970s. And again, if you just look at the flags next to the names, all right, starting in the 70s, nine out of 10 of the Fighters of the Year per Ring Magazine were American. You see a lot of names there repeated multiple times, right? It's the same thing in the 80s. Actually, I'm sorry, all 10 in the 80s were American. The 90s, it's 9 out of 10, right? But then, including a Mexican-American and Oscar De La Hoya in 1995, uh, another Hispanic uh, fighter in 1999, Pauli Ayala. In the 2000s, though, it starts to change. Right. And you start to see different representation there. And in the 2010s, this really, really changes. I mean, in the 2010s, one American fighter of the year. Right. And a lot of people will say, well, this is bias or something like that. Ring Magazine's an American publication. All right. So this isn't anti American bias or anything like that. And some of you will say, oh, it's promotional bias or something like that. You know, Ring Magazine is owned by the same parent company that owns Golden Boy Promotions. Andre Ward wasn't a Golden Boy Promotions fighter. Okay. So this wasn't some sort of anti, uh, so some sort of bias uh, going into this. I also want to share, uh, where is this at here? This is the original tweet that I posted this week. Okay. And um, again, this made a lot of people uncomfortable that, you know, there's, listen, there's going to be people out there who, are, who will try to find some hidden meaning in this tweet. There is none. I'm speaking matter of fact here. This was my response to, um, to to what a lot of people were saying regarding Crawford's comments and the reaction to that, right? Uh, certain narratives continue to persist in boxing, particularly among some American fighter, writers and fans that have long been extinct. Fighters from the USA no longer dominate this sport. It's more globally diverse than ever. And what I did is I just took a screenshot of Ring Magazine's current pound-for-pound list What's ironic in this whole thing is Terrence Crawford, who brought up all these comments, right, in the subsequent fallout, uh, a lot of people feel that he does not deserve his number three position on our pound-for-pound list due to his recent resume. Not because he hasn't fought black fighters, but just because he hasn't fought the best fighters in his division, regardless of where their, their roots come from. And this is something that, you know, we're going to address at the Ring Ratings Committee, and, uh, and not just our pound-for-pound you know, pound list, but like top-to-bottom 
we need to kind of do an overhaul because in 2020, due to the COVID pandemic, we gave a lot of fighters a break for inactivity, but we're going to uh, start punishing them now in 2021 because things are opening back up and fighters are getting busy again. I tweeted the other day, I think it's only like seven out of 10 of the fighters on our pound for pound list currently have a fight scheduled. That is not satisfactory. But also uh, on this pound for pound list, man, Errol Spence, a lot of people uh, take issue with us having Errol Spence rated over Tiafimo Lopez. And, um, you know, I, I find that kind of ironic, you know, in the midst of this discussion as well. But in, the, in, in you know, in fairness, I brought up the transitional boxing ratings as well. So I didn't want to make this a ring specific thing. And again, if you look at their pound for pound list, uh, I, number one, I completely disagree that Tyson Fury should be on the pound for pound list. You do not rate heavyweights unless they have completely cleaned out a division and set a precedent of uh, dominance for a number of years. The last heavyweight that was on our pound for pound list was Vladimir Klitschko. Tyson Fury does not rate pound for pound yet. So I disagree with this rating. I also disagree with Gennady Golovkin being up there. He doesn't have a fight scheduled. He hasn't fought in a long time. He hasn't fought a top fighter in a long time. Golovkin does not belong on the pound-for-pound list right now. Other than that, you know, some of the ordering I don't agree with. But overall, it's a, it's a solid list. But if you look at the names, man, they got three American fighters up there, right? Three American fighters, two African-American fighters, uh, one, of his, uh, one Hispanic-American fighter. Uh, who who is not of you know African heritage, African ancestry, I should say. So uh, I found all that interesting and relevant per uh, just this whole discussion. And you know, look again, this makes people uncomfortable, but it's not. There's no dog whistle. There's no hidden meaning here. None of it. It's just stating facts, and this shouldn't be a controversial statement. It shouldn't make people uncomfortable. The sport of boxing. Take ethnicity out of it. Let's just look at uh, countries and, and, and nationalism, all right? national Nationalism is the wrong word. National origin. Boxing is more globally diverse in terms of the, the, the fighters from different parts of the world being represented than ever before. It's not even close. This is like the, the football, the soccer of, of uh, fight sports, if you will. That's what boxing is. I personally think that's cool. I think that it's a good thing that we have representation from all over the world. It's something that makes certain people uncomfortable, though, particularly in the American boxing press, particularly among, I don't know, some of the woke wokesters in the press. It's something I don't quite understand because this is something that should be embraced. I thought diversity is our strength. Diversity is a good thing. That's the way I view it. And we have representation now from every corner of the earth in boxing. You look at the pound for pound list, you know, look, man, me covering events. I mean, I just I was just at Chocolatito Estrada and it was such an international crowd. And when I go to cover different fights all over the country, I see people of all different backgrounds there at the fights. I think that's pretty cool. So regardless of ethnicity, background, American fighters, period, are not dominating this sport anymore. So. Circling back to Terrence Crawford's comments, okay, and then the comments that he said, him being viewed as a hypocrite and putting being put back on him. Um, I think that it depends on the division, but there are certain divisions, as I said before, one one forty seven, one fifty four. The best fighters in those divisions are American, specifically 
African-American. If you look at super middleweight, one of the best fighters there is American, specifically Caucasian-American, European-American, whatever term you deem appropriate politically, you know. But, but those are the few divisions where, yes, okay, that's true. Outside of that, you start looking around at other divisions, and it it's very international, very global. So I don't want, I don't care what background the fighters come from. I just want to see the best fight the best. And what's holding that up isn't some mythical color line that did exist in boxing. I'm not trying to suggest it didn't a long time ago. What the, the real line in boxing now is the promotional lines, the political lines, the network platform lines. That's what's holding up progress in this sport. All parties are responsible in this. All promoters, all the networks, all the executives, they're all responsible in this, but some more than others. And what bothers me about the narratives, people using racial narratives to drive a wedge and, and divide people and keep people upset and arguing, um, where it's not really relevant, what really bothers me about that is oftentimes the people putting out that narrative are the ones that are really, really blocking the big fights from happening due to political reasons uh, and, and you know the business interests. That's what's so it's like there's something going on over here. Okay, this is what's really going on behind the scenes, but they keep you all arguing about this stuff over here. It's political spin. It's the same thing politicians do. It's the same thing the mainstream media does in this country. It's the same thing Hollywood does, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So there's undertones of all that going on here. And I get it. Uncomfortable. It's touchy. You have to be sensitive and responsible when discussing it. But I don't think anything I said in this video should be deemed insensitive, inappropriate or irrelevant. All I did was talk about the truth of what's going on right now. So as it relates specifically to Terrence Crawford, yeah, he is kind of a hypocrite. Yeah, his comments were stupid, but I'm not saying they're stupid because they involved race or because he's a, a hypocrite because him dissing Canelo about his resume, he should look in the mirror. I get all that. My biggest issue with Terrence Crawford's comments is they're 30 years too late. They're 40 years too late. You're living in the past, dude. Look at what's going on right now. Where the, the division that Canelo Alvarez is fighting in, 168, the best fighters there, most of them are not American, right? And is 168 the strongest division in boxing? No. I think it's a relatively weak division, to be honest. I think the number one guy there is an American fighter, but he is uh, of Mexican ancestry, David Benavidez. I think that's the best fighter there. Uh, the best challenge, I should say, to Canelo. Canelo is the best fighter at 168. But um, if he were still competing at 160, of course, I'd want to see him fight Charlo. I'd want to see him fight Andre. But guess what? He fought the best fighter at 160 twice. Now, we could argue whether he won or lost those fights. And, you know that, That's a whole other discussion. You guys know I've talked about that at length. But the best fighter at 160 was Gennady Golovkin. Not American, right? Uh, he's, he's mostly Eastern European. He's a quarter Korean. Uh, so I, I get it. it, it that, was, that was the best fighter. And, and, you know, he took that guy on twice. And then he's now he's at 168. So uh, what's interesting is if you look at Charlo and Andre's resume and who they've fought, they have ex extremely weak resumes. 
Go to 168, Caleb Plant, even David Benavidez, extremely weak resumes. Go down to uh, 54, Jermel Charlo is building a pretty good resume. If he beats Brian Castano, he's got a legit solid resume. At that point, he might have the best resume in the entire PBC stable, all right? Uh, Tara, or, I'm sorry, Errol Spence at 147, solid resume, but not great. I mean, I could pick apart all these guys' resumes. Is Errol Spence's resume at 47 better than Terrence Crawford's? Of course it is. But his overall pound-for-pound body of work? I don't know. I think Terrence Crawford's is still slightly better, but it is starting to even out because Terrence hasn't really fought anybody in a while. Uh, at 140 pounds, uh, Josh Taylor and Jose Carlos Ramirez are set to fight in May to completely unify the 140-pound division. Neither of those fighters are black American, but the winner of that fight is definitely going to be on the pound-for-pound list. I mean, Josh Taylor's already there. And you look at who he beat, Regis Progre, do the math. You know, he's definitely a pound-for-pound level guy right at the bottom of the list. If he beats Jose Carlos Ramirez, he might be bumped up. Who knows? I'm just saying, depending on how he looks, he might be bumped up higher on the list. If Ramirez wins that fight, he enters the list, okay? Uh, one of those guys would pose a great opponent for Terrence Crawford either later this year or early next year. So down the line, maybe Terrence Crawford will have a chance to redeem himself and get in there against an elite-level opponent, and then we'll find out where he is at this stage of his career. But um, anyway, I could rant about this for hours. You guys know I love to talk about this shit, but um, – I just wanted to put this out there because um, it seems now that people are feeling a little more emboldened and a little safer to talk about it. But this is shit I've been talking about for years. If you guys listen to my podcast, you've heard me talk about this stuff for years. I understand that it's a sensitive subject. You have to be very, very careful about the way you discuss this. But certain statements should not be controversial. Boxing is more globally diverse than ever. I'm going to say it again. And it really depends on what division you're looking at. Fighting the best does not necessarily mean you're going to be fighting an American fighter, specifically an African-American fighter, in boxing in 2021. And for that narrative to continue to persist, not only is it ignorant and irresponsible, it's 30 years old. It's extinct. It's like uh, the, the notion of the great white hype. There was a time where that really was a thing in, in, in boxing in the heavyweight division. That is such an outdated concept that no longer exists, and, and not just in the heavyweight division, but all divisions. If the great white hype was still a thing, Caleb Plant would be the most popular fighter in the United States. He's not even in the top 10. Okay, so, so some of these narratives that continue to persist in boxing from decades ago, some of them literally from a century ago, need to die. And we need to join the 21st century because real quick, you look at UFC, and another reason why they're killing it right now is those old narratives don't exist there. They're building new narratives, new narratives in the 21st century that younger people can relate to. These old narratives from the previous century that continue to persist in boxing are relevant to guys who are in their 50s and 60s. A lot of the, the, the fight press is, and they continue to talk about these things as if they're, they're relevant today. Meanwhile, Young people are looking at like, what the hell are they talking about? Look at the pound for pound list. What are these guys talking about? This is making me uncomfortable. I, I feel like they're trying to interject something here that don't quite belong, right? That's not happening over at UFC. So let's take a page from their book 
And let's build new narratives in the new world together. Let's bring people together and stop dividing everybody. All right, that's it, guys. Um, Have a good weekend. I'll see you at the fights.